Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. And welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Grubb. And today we have a very special guest that is Dr. Sophie Brock. I'm so glad that Sophie could join us. I've She's been someone I've admired on social media for quite some time now. Um, she is a motherhood studies sociologist with a PhD from the University of Sydney. She wants to be a mother um, in the current social and cultural environment and helping us to find ways to challenge some of the damaging practices that don't serve us very well as mothers and on a broader societal level as well. Um, you host an amazing podcast. It's one that I actually listen to every single time an episode drops called The Good Enough Mother. And it provides, you also provide really valuable support and education to women and also to support the people who support women through your workshops and mentoring sessions. Did I miss anything there, Sophie? 
No, that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you, Carly. I'm so glad to be here and having this conversation with you. I've um, When you say you've admired my work, I'm like, I've admired your work for years, Carly. So that was lovely to hear. Thank you. No, it's fantastic to have you on because I know when I'm listening to your your sessions, you've got a great way of teasing apart people's stories so that we get to hear all of the beautiful richness of the motherhood journeys for people. Um, but also you're just not someone who you don't gloss over all the tough stuff that comes along um, and the challenges that families face too, which I really appreciate. Um, so if anyone is looking for another podcast to listen to, make sure you check out The Good Enough Mother. Now for today's episode though, Sophie, we want to actually talk about you and your little family and your experience around sleep. So would you like to tell us a bit about your little crew? Sure. Yeah. Well, I have a daughter, she's three years old, Tilly, and she's very much what you have termed a little sparkler, Carly. She um, has been an amazing portal for my own kind of growth and learning about myself and life. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have been a mother and, you know, this journey that is such a privilege, but equally such a challenge. Um, and to be able to talk about both and to hold both I think it's so important. We don't get much space for that. Um, and I'm excited too to sort of share a little bit more about my experience in mothering, which is something I try and do while straddling the social cultural analysis and stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's not where a lot of my focus is. So I'm really grateful to be having this conversation too. Well, thank you. And um, I'm just wondering, so when you come into having welcoming your little person did you have like an idea in your head about how you'd handle sleep with them when that once you brought them home I did yes so I actually started thinking about this during my pregnancy because I did as much research you know being a researcher and a motherhood researcher I was thinking well then what books can I read about motherhood <laughs> and um, sometimes I get asked like oh so because you're a motherhood sociologist does that mean that you were really prepared before you came into motherhood and um, I had a private midwife for my birth and that was one thing which really did help actually having awareness and understanding of the maternity system and is why I made that choice in how to navigate for, and prepare for my birth. But she asked me actually this question of, okay, so you're a researcher and you're interested in the experience of motherhood. Like what have you done to prepare you know, for your birth and actually beyond that for your entry into motherhood? She asked me that question, which I don't think is often asked of mothers. No. Um, yeah. When we're pregnant. And so I said to her, well, actually what I've gained as an understanding from speaking with mothers and from doing the research and the focus that I've had on how motherhood's constructed is that I know that I can't know actually until I become a mother. I know that there is so much that I'm yet to find out and I know that actually reading a whole bunch of books and things can't adequately prepare me for what this transition will be. Um, but I know that I'll need support and I know that I need to be as anchored into my own self as I can be in that journey because it's one that will have us remade over and over. And so I, I did have an awareness of um, matrescence and the way that things shift and change. But interestingly, that's actually quite different to the practical and tangible tools and skill set of mothering, which 
I didn't have. Um, and I hadn't been around many babies before. I didn't have much experience in what it was like to nurture and care for a baby. And of course, I had succumbed and have been conditioned into our mainstream understandings of sleep, you know, infant sleep and what that looks like and settling and all of the rest of um, the advice that gets thrown our way. And my beautiful midwife had actually spoken to me about co-sleeping um, when I was pregnant and spoke to me about safe co-sleeping. And when she started talking to me, I had this voice in my head saying, oh, this is nice information to know, but that won't be me. I'm not going to co-sleep. I had this. <laughs> and you know, what is so funny now, I asked her about, um, like what type of mattress to use for the cot. So that was my next conversation. And she gave me this, this book about, um, you know, SIDS and, and cots and mattresses. And, and I went to great efforts to get this custom made organic mattress for the cot and a matching one for the bassinet. And I had all this organic bed sheets and things that all of that, like that I was quite invested in ensuring that, that I had the sleep space set up in the way that I wanted to. And lo and behold, that barely ever got used, but it's probably jumping forward a bit. Um, but I, I certainly did have in my mind that co-sleeping, that's not for me. That wasn't for me. I wasn't going to be doing that with my baby. And now I recognize in hindsight that a lot of that was because of the messaging that had been built in around what it means to mother a baby um, and have them in routines and have them sleep in a particular way. Um, and also, I suppose, about the the ways and the misunderstandings of, of co-sleeping, for example, um, and the ways that it can put us into particular labels of being potentially the dangerous mother or the bad mother or the mother who isn't well prepared or the mother who is uh, doing something as a compensation for, well, not being able to get it right, quote unquote. Um, and so that was all kind of swirling around, but I wasn't really that cognizant of it when I was pregnant. Uh, and of course that all changed the first night my daughter came home. <laughs> So did she I have sleeping, I was going to say, did she have the sleeping newborn stage at all or did we give that one a miss? No, she did not. She did not have that. Well, actually, after the birth, she was sleeping in, in the hospital. Um, I mean, I didn't really pay any attention. I thought that's just what they do. I was like, oh, and, and now I laugh looking back because I was like, oh, she's just, she's so out of it. Like she's so sleepy <laughs> for like the first day, literally the, the day after she was born at one in the morning. And for the rest of that day, she was really sleepy, but that all changed as soon as we got home. And I remember the first night I had her in a, um, a co-sleeper attachment, like the, where the side comes out, basically like side car into the bed. And, um, she, every time I put her in there, she would cry. I'm, I was like, what, what is going on? Why does she keep crying when I put her in there? And then I'd pick her up and then she would stop crying and I put her back down and I'm like, what is happening? I, I couldn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't understand why she kept crying. And so then I sat up in the bed holding her and I, and I knew about the dangers of that as well. Right. And I was thinking, but I'm so tired. Like, how do I, how do I sleep? Do I, 
but then what if I fall asleep and my arm just drops her and she rolls off? The, I, how do I do this? And so then I tried to lie on the bed and sort of position her next to me, but she was swaddled and I was fearful about yeah. that. I'm like, this doesn't feel safe. And so what I ended up doing on that first night um, was I actually went into the nursery and I sat in the rocking chair and I just thought, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to have to stay awake. <laughs> and I just stayed awake. <laughs> And I just looked at her and I was, you know, would have had hormones pumping through me. And I remember watching the sunrise um, while holding her. And I, and I thought in my head, is this motherhood? Like this is motherhood now. It, is this it? This, this wouldn't just be me. There would be other mothers out there like this. Other mothers have been through this. Like, how does this work? How am I going to figure this out? What's it going to look like? Um, And so that was a really big, um, it was a shock at the time, but I suppose that it's always really hard for me to talk about the experience of those early days without talking about the other stuff that was happening for me at the time. And I think that that's actually really important to say because so often we look at our experiences of raising a baby and having a baby and going through a labor and those early days and even beyond, we kind of look at it in isolation and we're really interested in what was the baby doing and what were you doing in response without going, okay, let's see a little bit wider here. What else is happening in that scenario? And for me, the context was right before I went into labor, I found an evidence, if you will, that my husband was cheating on me, which sent me into labor and hysterics. And then had me in a total, I mean, everything collapsed, basically. Like everything collapsed in my identity, my life, my dreams, my vision for what my postpartum for be, would be, could be. It all just collapsed. And so when I came, when I came home, it wasn't even the home that it was. Like everything had changed. And when I went into that other room with my baby, the nursery and my husband at the time was asleep in the bed. And we were kind of having these half conversations in between people coming in and out of the room. And um, my midwife would come, you know, came to visit me and my mum and my sister were there supporting me. And it was just, I was trying to mother this baby and I was trying to breastfeed and she wasn't latching properly. And I had all of this stuff swirling around me and I think it was day three and when you get the, the the blues or you know you have that big hormone shift and I knew about that shift as well I knew about day three because I'd been prepared quote unquote and I was in the bathroom crying and I just thought oh don't worry Sophie this is just because it's day three I was telling myself I was Aww. I was saying in my head I was like looking in the mirror and I was just distraught and I was like, this will pass. This will get better. This is just day three. Actually what had just happened was that my husband said he didn't love me anymore. Right. Which total, it wasn't even in my consciousness or on my radar that that could ever have been a possibility, let alone right then and there. Um, and so in hindsight, again, I look back and I'm like, wow, actually, Sophie, you had all of these other things happening in your life. Um, and that probably speaks to the rest of my experience of those early days of mothering a baby um, and all of the challenges that I went through with 
mothering and figuring out what sleep looks like and and how I was going to navigate that with my daughter, a, a lot of that actually, um, that's not, you, I can't separate that from the context that I was in relationally and emotionally um, because it's all so intertwined and connected. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That is a one hell of a postpartum. What a shock. And yeah. And so like while you you sat up all night with this baby staring at her and realizing that that was only one night, like what's, mm. what's ahead of you, what, what did you do next? Did you talk to anybody about the situation to find out what, like, was this going to be your forever? Well, I don't even think I was really thinking. I just, I wasn't even thinking about, I was just basically thinking about how do I get through the next hour? Like what's the next hour? And I, I think it was maybe day four and I had those brilliant hydrogel um, disc, pad, disc pads, you know, with, that you put on your nipples when you have cracks and it's sore and hurting. And I'd run out of them. And I asked my partner if he could get some more from the chemist. Um, and he kind of was snappy with me. And I just thought, I just had this realization. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? What What is my life? What has it? what am I doing? I've got this brand new baby. I'm trying to connect with her. I'm trying to feed her to keep her alive. I'm trying to somehow close my eyes so that I can still function and not collapse. And I think actually that there was a lot of adrenaline running. I think that I was Mm. kind of just like in this heightened state um, of activation. And that's probably why I found it hard to rest. Even if I had little space or opportunity, like someone came over to visit and said that they'll hold the baby while I rest and I would go in and just be on my phone. Like I couldn't even sleep. Mm. Um, and, and I just, my mom picked that, like my mom recognized that basically and said to me, why don't you come and stay with me for a couple of days? Um, and just to give you two some space and I can help with the baby and cause he wasn't doing anything. And so I said, okay, I'll just do that thinking that I would say to my partner, Oh, this is what I was thinking. And he would say, Oh no, 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 don't leave. Don't leave. Like I was thinking that would be the response, but he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I was like, okay, then, um, whipped out some plastic bags and my carefully placed and organized nursery with my color themed sections for all the little baby things was swiftly just chucked into some plastic bags and I loaded the car up and I went over and that was it. I, that was, I've never, that was my moving out basically. Um, I would go back and collect things when I needed them. Um, and that happened in various stages. And when she was about six weeks old was when I had, um, like removalists come to help me with my things. Um, but that was all happening in those early weeks. Um, and so when I look back on it now, and I, you know, we spoke about this a bit before we were recording Kylie, that it's, it's hard to full, you can't actually fully take yourself back and be in that situation and in that memory, because at the time you're just running on your survival mechanism. Like you're just coping. You're just getting through. I wasn't thinking about the next month or two months or five years. 
um, or what sleep should look like even at the time, I was just like, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do. Um, and that ended up being, I got a little co-sleep, a little, I don't know if it's called like a, it was to put in the bed, but it had little oh, sides. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those nest things. So I had one of them and she seemed to be okay in that. If I sort of had my hand on her and she was, I was in a, a single bed now at my mom's house. Um, and I would sort of, I had her up in the corner um, and that's how I'd sleep. And I didn't, um, know how to breast sleep. I didn't really like to, to feed while sleeping. I didn't really know that was a thing. So I would just sit up um, and and breastfeed her. But at the at the same time, right, all this other drama was happening. And so when I'm sitting up in the bed and feeding her, like I'm also um, looking through, I had people sending me like screenshots of like my husband on like a dating app and like the, all this other stuff was happening. So I I know now for sure that that all impacted actually my capacity to sleep and rest and my baby's capacity to sleep and rest as well. At the time though, I wasn't aware of how intricately we were linked in that way. I kind of could think that I could hold a front and be okay and my baby would be okay. I didn't recognize how deeply we were actually connected um, in that experience. And so I kind of muddled my way through the first six weeks, the first um, probably three months actually. And I remember there was one night and I laugh at myself compassionately now where I think she had a stretch of maybe four hours of sleep in a row. And um, I remember waking up and she was still asleep and I, my breast felt really full and I had to manually express because I was like, I don't want to get mastitis. And in the bathroom when I was manually expressing, I thought to myself, just really savor these moments, Sophie. Like it was a real reminder for me to appreciate how little she is because I'm like, this is the beginning of her starting to sleep longer stretches and it'll probably be soon and I won't even be getting up in the night feeding her anymore. Like you just have to really treasure these night feeds while they last. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's almost four and <laughs> I'm still feeding her at night. <laughs> Treasured moments for the last one. <laughs> I am so lucky. <laughs> oh my goodness. But how good is that though? Like even in the so like you're in the depths of everything that was going on, it sounds like you just did an incredible job being able to just continue on with your nurturing despite the trauma that's going on outside. And as much as you say, like, you know, you do recognize there would have been that intricate link and connection with your daughter through that time, you created such a solid buffer for her at the same time. That's incredible because I can only imagine the amount of stress your body was under at such a crucial time. Oh, Sophie, that's intense. And so with you, you moved in with your mum. Did you have a lot of support in terms of practical support, emotional support from your mum being in the house with her? Yeah, a lot. And my sister was living there at the time as well. Um, so I, I did in saying that, and I know others will be able to relate to this. Like Tilly was not the type of baby that could just be handed over to someone. So like she, yeah, she just, Carly's having, giving me a thumbs up. Yeah, she is just up. Totally. on me like all the time. So it's, it's not, I couldn't like when I would have a shower, for example, um, I would either have her in the shower with me or my mum would hold her, but she'd be outside the door screaming. Like, it so was, you do the quick shower and get out. 
Yeah, you do the quick yeah. shower and you get out. And I remember sometimes like the shower was the only place where I would start to break down because I was separated from her. It was almost like whenever she was with me, I could focus on her. And whenever I was away from her and stepped away from her, like all the emotions kind of flooded me. But then I would hear her screaming out there and it's almost like I just pulled myself back together again. And I know that, you know, I know now in hindsight as well that actually a lot of that's kind of repression and suppression of emotion, which isn't great. But when you're in the kind of crisis mode and when you don't actually have the time or space or option to break down because you just don't, you don't have the the foundation and the grounding and the capacity to do that, um, that's how I coped. And, and so, yeah, I had brilliant um, support emotionally from my mom and my sister. I have wonderful friends as well. Um, and, and also my mom um, took time off work and cooked. Like she, she did the cooking and all of that. So that was a massive help. Um, I got mastitis uh, when she was, it was around the time actually of um, moving out of that, my other house officially. So that was horrendous. Um, but I am so thankful that I had that support. And I, as I said, because I had the continuity of care with my private midwives, I was seeing my private midwife pretty regularly in those first six weeks too. So she would come out to the house and I would have her to debrief with as well. Um, and at the same time as all of this, I continued having a lot of pain breastfeeding and ended up um, ended up going down the whole route of tongue tie and latching things. And I ended up using shields for three months um, to try and get breastfeeding, you know, established in a way. And that was, look, that was really important to me. Um, and something that is also probably not spoken about much because it's generally not a concern for people when they've just had a baby, if they're going to have go through a separation, but I was also really protective of my baby. So I was scared. I was scared that, she would be taken away from me because you have this um, cultural narrative around shared care and what that looks like for divorced parents. And I didn't really know the ins and outs of um, the laws or anything like that. And I was kind of just worried. Like here's this person that I've trusted my life with as my life partner and the father of my child and all of that. And that whole sense of who I know him has, has just been completely shattered so now it's like my foundations of being able to feel safe and to have trust in my relationships and the world around me was also kind of shattered. And so I had this really um, a sense of protectiveness as well around my daughter and really wanting us to be able to um, be as connected and intertwined as possible, which she very much helped with, <laughs> you know, and I thought, I've thought about this in hindsight of going, how much actually is the struggle that I've experienced in the relentlessness of the caregiving and the not having other people to be able to step in and come in and help and um, to have that bit of space, which I was, I ended up really craving desperately, like how much did that also kind of serve me in a way as well and serve my daughter too. So yeah, I think it can be helpful for us um, to look at the stories as well that we attach to our sleep experience and our early experience of mothering and and just try on different perspectives too and see how they feel in um, the narrative that we attach to our story. Absolutely. I think that's really wise advice because despite like I'm sure not, not there's there would be other people who've had really traumatic postpartum experiences, but it doesn't need to be even that scale of trauma to be actually 
be playing into some of the the experiences that you're having and by actually broadening your lens having a look at what's going on around you in the environment in your family and the pressures and the stresses and the strains helps you just keep it in context doesn't it like it's not just how your baby's behaving and whatnot that is actually playing into how sleep looks uh, for you there's also all those other environmental factors and stress factors that can really impact on your ability to rest like you said even when you get the chance to um, I know mm. that's really common. Um, I had that experience when I got postnatal depression after my third baby. She actually slept like a dream and I was just I had the worst insomnia. And so it didn't really matter how many hours in a row she slept because I'd only get like, you know, the smallest portion because my insomnia was what was actually causing it. So whereas mm. everyone, you know, I had a newborn. So of course I was tired, but it was like, no, actually it's not her. It's, it's me. So I think that's really a good tip for people listening along to if you are having a bit of a struggle, it doesn't necessarily change things for you, but it just helps you broaden your story and your context around what you're experiencing. Thank you very much for that, Sophie. And I'm just having a look at our time and I feel like we're only at the start of your story. Do you think you'd be able to stick around for a, a second episode with us? Yeah, Would that for be okay? sure. I'd love to, Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, what just to round out this episode for people, would you mind sharing, do you have a tip that you wish you could have been given maybe as a first-time parent yourself? Yes. Uh, well, lots, but one that first comes to mind in just relating to that story of being at three months and thinking, oh, we're at the beginning of sleep getting better. It would The tip would be that sleep is not linear. Sleep is not linear and don't think too far into the future and think that you can change what things are going to be like in six months by what you do today. Just focus on today and now and your immediate context and trust that you'll have the capacity and resilience and will be able to resource yourself or have people come in to help support you in navigating whatever challenges may lie ahead. Just focus on now. I love that tip because it allows people just to remain a bit present too because there's nothing worse than catastrophizing over one rubbish day with your baby or, you know, a series of rubbish nights and starting to think this will be your forever because it's not, is it? There's there's no forever with babies. It all ends eventually. Um, but when that is, well, it can be as long as a string. So if you start stressing about that in, in that moment, you really kind of lose out on what's actually going on and being present in that. Thank you so much, Sophie. That was a really wise first episode. And I'm looking forward to continuing to hear more of your story after. I will finish the show by asking people listening along if you would, have you been enjoying the episodes you've heard so far? Um, if you wouldn't mind dropping us a review. We are very new to the, the podcasting world. And so any reviews, particularly five-star ones, actually help boost us along so that we can find other listeners who might benefit from hearing what we've got to say. So thanks again, Sophie. Looking forward to talking to you in our next episode. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed. Whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering.
And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.